Hello, I'm John Landis, host of the Jam Session Radio Hour. Tonight we have part three in a series of uh, portion of portions of interviews of Joel Chris that uh, that we've done earlier uh, this year. Joel is a member of the Jam Session Inc. Uh, board, and uh, as such, we are the producers of the Hamptons Jazz Fest uh, and also of this show, the Jam Session Radio Hour. And we're so glad that you're listening with us. Joel is an invaluable member of the board, brings to us a host of, of connections over the years that he's gathered in his business of jazz. He has been the ja- in the jazz business um, for as long as he can remember, uh, grew up listening to rock and roll, morphed into jazz, uh, spent times going uh, to many jazz clubs in the city, uh, met more and more musicians, um, wanted badly through his journalism connections to get into um, the business of jazz and did. Um, just bootstrapped himself into it uh, and uh, built a business over the years such that after a while his J. Chris and company um, jazz agents were booking something like 500 to 600 gigs a year, including festivals all over the world. So he knows a host of musicians, music, um, a lot of which comes through this broadcast. So thank you for joining us. Please stay with us as we listen to part three of uh, an interview with Joel Chris. It's you've never lost your love for going and hearing live music and hearing new people because I know from knowing you that you're always looking for new people. Yeah. I mean, I want to jump too too far ahead, but I mean, and, and now that you're working uh, out in the East End and back and forth between here and the city, you're always talking about new bands. Right? Yeah, but they're not new to me. They're not new to you. No, they're people. But they're people. Are they? A lot of these people that, for instance, now you would recommend or we would have play out here, of course, Hamptons Jazz Fest. Are people that that you handled through Jay Chris and Company? Yes, some of them are, but because I don't have a a, a, a relationship with Jay Chris and Company the way I did right. five six years ago. In fact, Jay Chris and Company is still a viable company, but it's more a consultancy company, more a production company. the 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 jazz booking and management part of the a company is really managed under a different name by Chris Meese, okay. who was a, a an employee of mine and then became uh, kind of a, a partner of mine and and a good friend of mine. And so he and he's you know twenty five years younger than I right. am, so he can hit the phones and do the things right. that I was doing in my thirties and forties and fifties that I don't want to do anymore. So you've talked about the people that, some of the early people mm-hmm. that Jake, Chris, and company was um, built upon. Let's let's go up a little. Let's get to a higher altitude and look down and and kind of look over the you know the the interim you know whatever twenty years of your career and some of the some of the musicians and and turns in your business that are most dynamic, most mm-hmm. you know most important to you. Yeah. Um... So from the early days, um, some a lot of those artists grew and had major careers. Being, yes, as you said before, it, I ran a very active global agency, but it was small by comparison to uh, some of my competitors. Um, so in the position I was, even if I was you know three, four in the world. Those one, two, threes were a lot bigger than right. I was. Right. And so th- th- I would 
get everybody at the beginning. And I would spot them before anybody knew who uh, they were. And so, you know, whether it was Joe Lovano, um, Dave Douglas, uh, uh, so many. Um, but just take those two, Joe Lovano, Dave Douglas, Dave Holland. And some of these are older cats. Dave Holland was a Miles Davis alumni, Dave Liebman. But um, the second that I would build them up to making five grand a night, mm-hmm. the other competitors would come and leap on them. So I was, always had to replenish mm-hmm. the roster with mm-hmm. new artists. But it was not any, uh, it was not a negative for me because the artists came to me as much as I came to them. Mm-hmm. The artists know who the agents and the managers in the business are. And, you know, if I let it happen, I could answer, answer call from artists all day long seeking representation. Wow. Um, but being that I was in New York and I was traveling to Europe and traveling around the States, um, I, I knew artists before mo- almost anybody did. Uh, and if I didn't know them, they made, they made themselves known to me. Mm. Um, so it, it wasn't like I had to go out and look for new artists. Right. I, I, I was at the clubs. I was deeply interested in what uh, young artists were exploring musically. And that's a curiosity that remains as alive today as it was when I was a teenager. I want to know what music um, is being produced out there. I want to know it from the artist personally. I want to know it from my own ears. I want to see where where these people are put, pulling their information, their musical information from. Uh, I want to see what where they're creating their own roots out of other people's uh, seeds. Well, don't don't the record labels have what, what what's the job uh, for a record company if someone goes out to the clubs and looks for new talent? That's A and R, right? Is yeah, that what they call it. Yeah. So it almost sounds like you were your own A and R person, right? Uh, You're out there. Absolutely. Right. And I but became but an A and R person while I was running the booking agency. I became an A and R person for a company that my brother and I ran called Arabesque uh, from the early '90s till right after 9/11, uh-huh. which is when we closed shop. Uh-huh. Um, and now, I was an A and R person for that label. For that did, label, we did. Uh, 80 or so jazz titles over those years. It was mainly a classical label that we got hired by the owner of the label to start a jazz division. Oh, okay. Um, and that's how... So I always, you know, I had a natural uh, affinity for um, finding new artists because it's what I did in my spare time. Right. It's what I did in my professional life. It, it was... That's... Would you say that particular talent and skill of yours certainly was one of the principal reasons why you succeeded in the business. Yes. Because you were so good at seeing new talent and getting to know them. I mean, you were interested in them as people. Right. And also that covers up for a lot of other liabilities. Yeah. If if you can convince promoters and festivals that you're deeply involved in the lives and music of your clients – uh, 
the door the doors will open uh, much wider for you. Why is that? Um, because a lot of those promoters love the music in their mm-hmm. own way, maybe in the way I do, maybe in a different way, but it creates a relationship on a different level than the bigger agents have. Even if they know a bit about the music or more than a little bit about the music, they're running a bigger I mean, their businesses, they have 15 employees. Right. They're not going to hang out with the musicians the way I wanted to. They're not going to hang out with the promoters the way... I mean, I fly to Europe just to hang out with a promoter. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, I had the advantage. I had some disadvantages, which was being smaller and less capitalized than the bigger agencies. But I had the advantages that I can move on a dime. And I may, I could make my own decisions, and I, I didn't have to steer the Titanic. Right.
You're listening to WLIW-FM. Over the air at 88.3, serving eastern Long Island and southern Connecticut, 96.9 in western Suffolk, and streaming at WLIW.org slash radio and on your favorite streaming platforms. This is the Jam Session Radio Hour. I'm your host, John Landis, and tonight we continue to bring you uh, part, part three of an interview with uh, Joel Chris, our good friend Joel Chris. So I feel like that's one of the things about your career that allowed you to stay kind of in, in, in the cool lane that you built was that you didn't grow so big that right. you had 15 employees or 20 employees or something, then you were distant from right. what you really loved, yeah, I, which was I, meeting these people. And, and I think that you, could, you can say that was what I'd love to do. It, it may have been the most natural lane for me to to uh, travel in but i never had the uh, to be honest with you i never had the the desire to run um anything more than a small business mm -hmm. i wanted to be around the music i obviously wanted to make a living needed to had a, a large overhead even with seven employees or eight employees but i never wanted the business to outshine the reason I got in, yeah, which was to be around musicians and be around the music. I wasn't. I, I love being in business, and I, you know, like any good American, loves to make money. Yeah, but uh, it's not the same love as I have for uh, uh, being around the music day in and day. How out. is your taste for music? It's obviously broad, but how has it changed? Over the years, especially more recently, I know you're a guitar player, and you've certainly had a predilection for guitars, and right for guitars. But you have had all kinds of musicians that you've represented. Oh, yeah. No, because to me, I am a guitar player, and I do love guitar music. But it doesn't matter what anybody plays. Right. I mean, I learn more about music and the guitar from listening to saxophone players or piano players as they do listening to guitar players. Okay. Um, the music is trans transferable from right. one instrument to the other. So how has your taste changed if it has? Or has it only gotten broader? Broader. I, th mm -hmm. I think that's the, the way I would, I see it myself. Um, you know, the, there's an old saying, the more you love music, the more music you love. Yeah. And uh, I think that's 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 a phrase that I uh, embodies the way I've lived my musical life. Um, I, you know, there'll be weeks where I don't listen to anything but classical music. There'll be weeks where I don't listen to anything but Afro pop. Right. Or sometimes vocalists. There are many weeks where I listen to rock and roll, especially at the end of the year. At the end of the year. <laughs> I, uh, all the, these, you know, top 10 or uh, top right, right, right. Uh, lists come out uh -huh. in all the magazines and all the websites. Yeah. And I, I look you at them all. And if I see, uh, and there's always lots of pop and rock and, and, um, are you still discovering new people? I mean, new to you, but are you still out there like you always have been, you know, snooping around and trying to find these not, new acts? Not, not for much. business. Yeah. I'm not for business. I mean, the, the, the jazz stuff just comes to me naturally. Okay. Because I go, I hang out with jazz musicians right. and they are always telling me 
who they're playing with. I go to pl- clubs like Bar 55 right. and Smalls and Mesro, and there's always young artists hanging out. So the jazz stuff just comes to me through my day-to-day living. Uh-huh. But the other stuff doesn't. So I go and look for it. Not not for business. I just want to know like uh, how how these younger artists today are incorporating all the stuff I grew up with into their own music or are they not? Or are they, the whole hip hop movement, I'm, I'm slow, I'm still slow coming to, but it, it, it's such a huge, it's such a huge influence on everything that's going on for the last 20 years. I have to know such a a leading kind of avatar of our culture. Right. And so, and, and it's, uh, it has an influence in the jazz music, sure. It, it, for jazz musicians, because jazz musicians are sponges, they're musical sponges, and they they want to, you know, they need to incorporate, not for business reasons, they need to incorporate new rhythms, rhythms, new sounds into their music because they want to make the music of the time that they're living in. So, just a, a couple of last things. Um... Uh, one, I'd like you to talk more about the Hamptons Jazz Fest, and also how you how you and Clayus and others who are working Bill O'Connell are thinking about and making decisions about who to try to get to play for the festival and where you see it going. Okay, and uh, and then how how just about the business now, the music business. Yeah, maybe do that one first, and then we'll talk about the yeah, Jazz Fest. Yeah, the music business. I don't try to keep trapped track of very much Mm -hmm. um and the only reason i ever kept track of it is because i was in it uh and i wanted to know who my competitors were and and but how do the musicians feel about it now i mean Uh, um there's no you know i would say there is the music business is kind of especially the jazz business it's kind of it's a phantom business i mean it's it's a do-it-yourself business and those artists who are able to build their own brand, their own their own established uh, uh, identity, whatever. Uh, yeah, and also their own contacts. Uh huh. Their own contacts. Okay. Or, or, or maybe make their own scene themselves. Right. Um, but a J. Chris and Company now could a J. Chris and Company now be started and thrive? Mm, well, I watch Chris Meese mm-hmm. and to see what he's doing. Uh, and he's doing a lot of the same things I do, so I would say yes. It can, okay, it can still thrive. And Chris is going to clubs. Uh, he's had a kid, and not, but I mean, he knows a lot about the music. Okay, so and you people hear it in a lot of different ways. And and he um, spent seven years with me, and so developed his own contacts through uh, hanging out. At Chris and Company, and and meeting artists, and he's a so people musicians still need representation. They still need people who will, yeah, but state it, their case for them. Yeah, but it, it, it's a bit of a, a different tact than I. It was more of a business in the seventies, eighties. Now it's it, even Chris. Um, you invent it as you go along. Mm-hmm. It's it's more uh, it's more uh, fluid. Good word. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's more. Uh, what do I have to do if I want to get here? What do I have to do to get there? The the manual has been thrown out. Yeah. 
<laughs> and uh, but it, yes, it's still possible. Yeah. And there are a lot of festivals out there. Uh, Chris is working very, very hard. Uh, I have trouble getting getting him on the phone, uh-huh. uh, and he's making a living. Okay. Uh, and he has good taste in artists, and he and he's gravitated at, and artists had gra- gravitated towards him. Um, that he feels comfortable representing. Neither Chris nor myself. I don't think of myself as a salesman. Or, mm-hmm. And I know Chris doesn't. Mm-hmm. But because we know so much about this music and have and hang out with everybody, all the artists and the clubs and travel around the world to make contacts, uh, we feel like we can sell it even though if you handed us, if I went to get a job mm-hmm. at an, any company that sold anything other than music, I'm not sure. Sh- well, first, I'd be bored silly. Mm-hmm. And two, they'd probably fire me within the first mm-hmm. five months because they could see my heart wasn't into it. I think that's, if your heart's into it today, you can you can still bi- build a business mm-hmm. like Chris and Company.
The Jam Session Radio Hour is supported by Bayard Fenwick as a sponsor and underwriter. As part of the Terry Cohen team, located at the East Hampton office of Saunders Real Estate, Bayard is well-versed in the residential real estate market from Bridgehampton to East Hampton to Amagansett to Montauk. Bayard believes there are three parts to the value of a property, land value, improvements made to the property, and an emotional component. You can reach Bayard Fenwick at the East Hampton office of Saunders Real Estate at 631-324-7575. That's 631-324-7575. The Jam Session Radio Hour is also supported by Oza Sabbath Architects of Bridgehampton, New York. Oza Sabbath Architects both designs and builds homes, believing that a well-designed home suffuses our lives with the essential elements of balancing and recharging. Oza Sabbath Architects can be reached at ozasabbath.com. That's O-Z-A-S-A-B-B-E-T-H dot com. And at 631-808-3036. That's 631-808-3036. You're listening to WLIW-FM. Over the air at 88.3, serving eastern Long Island and southern Connecticut. 96.9 in western Suffolk and streaming at WLIW.org slash radio and on your favorite streaming platforms. This is the Jam Session Radio Hour. I'm your host, John Landis, and tonight we continue to bring you uh, part part three of an interview with uh, Joel Chris, our good friend Joel Chris. How do you feel about jazz today? I know it's a big question, but... Yeah, uh, I feel, I feel uh, always great about jazz music because I think it is... If if you if if it becomes part of your life, and this is what I actually thought about, wanting to say at the very beginning of our conversation, um, jazz music. I mean, you can call it jazz, and that's the name it goes under for historic purposes. And it started with you know Buddy Bolden and Louis Armstrong and Jelly Roll Morton, but it's history. It's not a museum piece by any means. Jazz is alive. It's the idea, the concept, the the creative spirit behind jazz music is about um, playing the music that comes from your soul, and it's about improvisation. It's about rhythms of all kinds and, and and meters and signatures and keys it's about the blues it's about swing and a certain level of uh of how the music inevitably moves forward it forward it throughout the tune the choruses your improvisation it's a, a way it's a different vocabulary vocabulary and a different syntax than other musics but every music has its own vocabulary and it's and its own syntax so jazz is just another uh it's music with maybe a different seasoning that most people aren't familiar with or the flavor of the music but if you just put a little time into it this is not your grandfather's music this is not your father's music. It's your music if you want it to be. And the payoff is so immense because you learn so many things about music from listening to jazz music. You learn so much about 
American culture, and you learn so much about the elements that put sounds together to make music. And the more you can um, spend time listening to things that aren't the trend trendiest things that the, that you hear on the radio or the the things that you may hear that look really sparkling and and has the you know the new uh the highest level of production the highest level of promotion yeah those some of those some of that music has real substance but if you want to add different flavors to your listening palette um, spending a little time learning about jazz music, yes, which requires a little bit of history, but it requires a lot of of time spent with music, who uh, musicians who are young, vital, spiritual, soulful, who have an amazing amount of musical taste, and uh, it's just it it it's like going to a, a gourmet restaurant. Uh, if if you're used to going to McDonald's, so be it. If you're used to going to your neighborhood hamburger joint, so be it. But if you want to raise your level of taste, um, every once in a while it's good to go to a, a restaurant with a really good chef. <laughs> it doesn't have to be a, a fancy <laughs> restaurant, but a, a restaurant with a really good kitchen and a good chef. And you'll it, it takes some time to understand what you're listening to, but it doesn't take that much time. What it takes is interest and curiosity.
You're listening to WLIW-FM. Over the air at 88.3, serving eastern Long Island and southern Connecticut, 96.9 in western Suffolk, and streaming at WLIW.org slash radio and on your favorite streaming platforms. This is the Jam Session Radio Hour. I'm your host, John Landis, and tonight we continue to bring you uh, part, part three of an interview with uh, Joel Chris, our good friend Joel Chris. So given what... Uh, what you bring to the table and what others who are involved in the Hamptons Jazz Fest bring to the table. It's very encouraging for those of us kind of involved, but without the same level of knowledge that you guys have, to know that this is growing out here. Mm-hmm. Because it gives us a confidence that whatever it is, it's going to be at a high level. And it's going to be intense, entertaining, uh, and it's going to be educational. So... How are you? How are you guys making choices, and how will the Hamptons Jazz Fest evolve? It, it will evolve as long as the communities out here uh, support it, and I think they will, uh, because I'm confident in my own abilities and tastes to bring exciting, entertaining music of different shades of the jazz of jazz out here on a regular basis. Yes, we'll have straight-ahead jazz. Yes, we may have a few avant-garde, left-of-center bands out here, which may not be the cup of tea of everybody at the beginning, but I believe if you go to hear things that make you feel a little bit uncomfortable at the beginning, uh, they won't make you feel uncomfortable after you've heard them a few times. Uh, it's a it's a language, and like reading James Joyce or or a really good novel may test you the first time you enter into that world. After a while, you need writers to read writers who operate on that level. But we'll do mainstream jazz. We'll do world jazz music. We'll do more um, kind of funk music. So there'll be something for everybody, and hopefully that something will be for everybody as you go to hear more and more music. So I'm confident. One, I'm having a great time working with Clayus. Um, and we sit down and uh, come up, we'll come up with programs year in and year out and season in and season, seasons out that will be uh, at the very highest level of musicianship and will be entertaining to the people out here and sometimes it, what, what you find entertaining today, next year you'll find, you know what? I heard that last year and it really turned me on, but I want to hear something different this right. year. And there'll be, there will be different uh, menus of music that you can pick from and enjoy. So really what I, I think I want to say is that we need the support of people who love music who love the social aspects of music, uh, who enjoy listening to music with their family and friends. And we need, and I promise I won't turn, turn this into a pitch, but we need people to support it physically and financially. We need you to be there. And not uh, there are times you'll be on your couch and it feels really comfortable and... You know, it's 85 degrees out at night. Get yourself off the couch. Bring uh, 
your family and friends and come out and hear some music. Even if it's not your cup of tea, really it's only an hour and a half of music. And what you'll learn, you learn as much from music you go to that maybe isn't right up your alley as you do when you go hear music that you fall in love it's, with. It's literally... You know, week, uh, weekend days over a three-month period, right. which really makes makes it work a lot. Joel, I want to thank you so much. Joel, Chris, we've been talking about uh, also Cleus Brondahl's um, contributions to all of what, what the Hamptons Jazz Fest is and the jam session over the years, and, and Bill O'Connell, who's the artistic director of the Hamptons Jazz Fest. Um, it's been fascinating talking to you. I can't wait until we can do it again and talk more about the Hamptons Jazz Fest as we get closer to it. There is a winter component to the Hamptons Jazz Fest, um, which is unfolding February. February 25th, I think we have Greg Lewis at the uh, parish. Yep. March 18th. Uh, March 18th, we have um, Emmanuel uh, Valera, Valera playing some great, great Cuban music. It's Cuban Express. And that's going to be at the Southampton Art Center. Right. So between Southampton Art Center and the Parish Museum, um, we'll do four. Four or five more winter. I think April first we have Bill O'Connell. I think so. Uh, right back right. at the parish. Um, so, but go to HamptonsJazzFest.org. Um, go to WLIW.org/radio. Keep listening to jazz, and uh, we thank you for joining the Jam Session Radio Hour. And thank you so much, Joel, Chris, for you, sharing with us what is just the tip of the iceberg in terms of the stories that you have stocked away and that you continue to make. Yeah. yeah, you're just one of those people. You just follow Joel around, and you're gonna you're <laughs> gonna see some good stories. Thank you, John. I I appreciate your uh, your respect, your affection, and your friendship. And uh, I'm so uh, pleased to be out here and working on this project. The Hampton Jazz Festival will keep on going uh, as long as people love music, which is going to be forever. And I encourage you to go to our website. Look at what we're doing, and if you have a few extra bucks, uh, donate it to uh, the Jam Session, which is the umbrella organization of the Hampton Jazz Festival or the Hampton Jazz Festival. Make a, make a friendly donation. And yes, Ham- HamptonsJazzFest.org. Great. That. And, uh, because uh, we, don't, we, we don't have any paid employees. We have a staff, including the board of directors, which uh, works... Uh, for the love of the music and to bring music out here to the Hamptons. So every dollar you donate goes straight to the production of great jazz music and goes right into the artists' uh, coffers and allows the music to be supported financially. So thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, I hope my stories weren't too confusing. And thanks, John, for... uh, Thank having you, a conversation yeah, with yeah. me and thanks klaus brundell thanks bill o'connell thanks lou sherwood and uh those are the main people who keep this thing going so have a good day and hope to see you out at the show well we hope you've enjoyed that um i certainly have it was a it was a Oh, a very fun interview to do, learning more and more about my, my good buddy, Joel Chris, uh, who was such a great member of our Jam Session Inc. Um, nonprofit board um, and is uh, instrumental, along with Clayus Brondahl and others, in putting together the Hamptons Jazz Fest. Now, the Hamptons Jazz Fest will continue its winter series. 
fact, uh, on March 18th, we have a concert with Manuel Valera and his new Cupid Express at the Southampton Art Center. And that starts at 6, goes till, uh, uh, the doors open at 6, concert starts at 7, and goes till 8.30. Then we also have on April 1st, Bill O'Connell, uh, the great pianist Bill O'Connell, um, playing with uh, his quartet, including saxophonist Craig Handy. That's at the Parish Art Center. Also starts at 6, goes till 7.30. The Hamptons Jazz Fest is a July, August, September thing. This will be our second year. We are um, deep in the process of putting it together. Um, and uh, we welcome you all uh, to what will be the second year of the Hamptons Jazz Fest. Um, and look forward to that, and we'll tell you more as things uh, unfold. Thanks so much for staying with us. Thanks to Rafael Alvarez for putting this together as our engineer, uh, to Clayus Brondahl. Uh, as our music director, to Joel Chris uh, for his wonderful presence on this interview. And to our sponsors, our supporters, Oza Sabbath, Oza Sabbath Architects, and Byrick Fenwick uh, of Saunders. Thanks so much for joining us, and uh, stay well. Um, good night from the Jam Session Radio Hour.